Uh, it's good to see you all. Wow. Let's get into uh, the Word of God for a few minutes. I just want to challenge you a little bit with the Word. How many of you like to be challenged by the Word? How many of you just like comfortable words? <laughs> You're not going to grow too much just with comfortable words. You know, the Word of God's like a sword, and it cuts away things from us that need to be cut away. So Romans 8.18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Suffering, persecution, misunderstandings. How many of you have suffered some persecution and misunderstandings since you surrendered your life to Jesus? You know, it's going to happen, not just initially, but in, in the process of serving him, there's persecutions as a part of, the, part of the package. You know, the Lord gave us some incredible promises for those who will follow him with persecutions. And so persecutions are always a part of the, uh, the process. Some of the persecutions comes in the form of family rejection. Uh, just a little short bunny trail, I promise I'll come right back. But it amazes me that the culture that I come from that is so strong against divorce actually divorces people out of their own families whenever they don't agree with their religious doctrine and are willing to cut off relationships more brutally than, than the world does in many cases. Just saying. Uh, some of those things we're going to believe for God to shift and change. And some of, the, some of them are changing. In some areas, there's more of an openness than there used to be. There's more compassion than there used to be. Uh, families aren't willing to just turn their backs on family members who leave their tradition and cut them off as if they never existed. You know, and uh, so that's a good thing because that's, a uh, more powerful expression of God's family. Uh, but flesh suffers as it experiences the work of the cross. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're, God takes you ways that are not comfortable. He requires things uh, that are not easy. I think it's really telling that right now a lot of the powerful voices in the body of Christ come from the field of missionaries because they've developed levels of courage and faith that that often is a little foreign to those who've stayed in more, um, a little closer to home. And uh, that's not to come against anybody who's not been on the mission field. I'm just saying there's a level of courage and faith that's required for you to face your fears, go places that you're not comfortable going, uh, connect with new people, new scenes, and, and in some cases, uh, risk of danger when you get there. And... Uh, not, not everybody's wired kind of like me. For me, it's just a great, grand adventure, you know. Uh, some people really have to face some major fears in order to go. And, uh, and so I applaud all of those who do that and, and, and go. And whether it's, whether it's uh, to, to Walmart to witness to your faith or to South America or Asia or the Middle East uh, where there's more of a price required. 
but it says it's not worthy to be compared. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. In other words, it'd be kind of like comparing iron and gold. They don't even show up in the same chart, typically. One is, one is a utilitarian metal, and the other one is a precious metal. And so they don't show up in the same chart. And that's how suffering and glory are. Uh, you know, the sufferings that we go through are such an insignificant price to pay for inheriting eternal glory that they, they shouldn't even be compared with each other. It's not worthy to be compared. So whatever you, is, you are required to, to pay, whatever price is required of you now in order to inherit eternal glory, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's not a big deal. Because, and then verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So creation is waiting for sons to be revealed. Uh, another little bunny trail, just a short one. Uh, we had a, a, a tormented robin who, who was attacking the entrance doors. And just making a big mess, you know, trying to break through the glass and, and pooping all over the ground on the outside, the cement on the outside. And, and then he moved over to this door here, and he worked on that one for a while. I didn't, I didn't catch him. You know, it, I, I saw the evidence. And then he moved over to this door back here going into the green room. And I caught him there one day when I came. And he was over there trying to get through that glass. And so I talked to him. Creation's waiting for the sons, right? They get the message. So, so I talked to him and I said, I release you from that tormenting assignment that the enemy put you on. I release peace to you. And you can go now, go in peace. You're released from that assignment in Jesus' name. And he left, and as far as I know, he hadn't been back. But the, Lord, the Lord's called us to get in touch with the creation. Uh, because all of the creation comes out of the ground that we were made of. We're from this dirt. And there's some of our theology that has been a little incomplete when it tries to isolate us from the planet that we came from and just get our suitcases ready to leave. You know? And so the Lord's shifting some of that theology for us. And it's, it's kind of a new message, but... Um, creation is waiting for the sons to be revealed, not sons that are out of here the minute that they, the, the first chance they get, but sons who are connected to the land that they come from and have a care in their heart for the creation, the, the creation of God and want to see the glory of God come to earth. That's, that's kind of a different paradigm for many of us. But it's a very important message for us to, to, us to get. Uh, Jesus didn't teach us to, uh, how to pack well. He told us to pray that, the, that his will would be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. He told us to occupy until he comes. And uh, so anyway, I don't really have time to go into that a whole lot further today. We'll talk more in the future, but... But if our citizenship is in heaven, then we no longer belong here. Why is creation waiting for us? So it requires a shift in our thinking for our theology to get straightened out. Now, my opinion is this, based on some of these scriptures, 
that God won't entrust the planet to those who feel like they don't belong here anyway. Scripture says the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of men. So we have a destiny here in this planet to bring the kingdom of God here. There's a whole parallel. I told you I'm not going here, but I... <laughs> Truth is, is parallel in multiple realms. So Jesus and his bride is actually a picture of heaven and earth coming into union. The Eden of... Anyway, I'm going to stop before I go. Um, think of earth as God's farm. We are the tenant farmers who have a promise of inheritance if we faithfully steward what he's entrusted to us. And any of you who know me know that I'm not a radical environmentalist, but I love the creation of God. I have a very tender heart for his creatures. And I expect to stand before the Lord and give an account for how I've stewarded what he's put in my hand. All good blessings come from above, but the Father of lights above has brought some of them here to earth for us to take care of for him. And, and I feel like this is something that's very much uh, in the DNA already of the Anabaptist people, the love for the land the care for the land, or the love that we have for God's creation. It's not a new radical message to us. It's something that we feel very much a part of already. Um, in fact, he'd like us to turn the farm into an expression of the paradise above. In fact, he already gave us a prototype model of what it should look like. And it was what he started with, the Garden of Eden. And Scripture talks in uh, Acts chapter 3 of the time of restoration of all things. Everything that's been lost in the fall, God wants to restore. Guess who's going to restore it to, or restore it through, is the sons and daughters of God. And verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Creation really kind of bucked at the idea of falling under a curse, but it happened. But because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The glorious liberty of the children of God. Glorious liberty? What liberty? The freedom that God wants to bring his sons and daughters into is a glorious liberty, glorious freedom. It's full of joy. It's full. You know, that's not found through just discovering the right principles to occupy or, or to, to apply to your life. What I'm talking about is the atmosphere of a healthy family. In a healthy family, there's, it's full of life, it's full of joy, it's full of peace, it's full of celebration. It's a family atmosphere. Verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Anybody feeling or seeing birth pangs going on in the world right now? 
plenty of birth pangs. There's a baby that's fixing to be born. That's not good English, but you get the point. We are a culture that's very strong against abortion. Most of the church is. Not all the church. There's some church that have bought into some lies about abortion. But most of the church is very strong against abortion. And yet, probably the original abortions happen in the church. Because abortions aren't just physical, they're also spiritual. And a year ago, when churches were shutting down, and I inquired of the Lord what he wanted us to do, he said, don't you shut down. If you do, you're going to be guilty of a partial birth abortion because I'm birthing something in your church right now. There's a move of God that is being birthed here that's going to impact the region and beyond. And if it, we have a responsibility to steward what God has given us, to watch out for it, to keep... To, to bring forth, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting to me that we have a powerful midwife here in the natural because we're called to come under that anointing to help birth something in the spirit realm. Something that is powerful, significant, and will impact the region around it. And that's one of the reasons why some of the things that we're going through are so significant is because God's preparing us to steward uh, an invasion of heaven in earth. The sons of God are being birthed. The male child of Revelation 12 is coming forth. I'm giving you different analogies. An apostolic reformation is what it will look like. God sees it as family coming together, coming into proper order. In the kingdom, Galatians 3.28 says, there is no male nor female. And so all of you, whether you're male or female in the natural, get to be sons of God spiritually. And the sons of God are peacemakers. What, what I did with that little bird, that's not the first time I've done what would seem like silly things to some people that are actually powerful. Because that's what the sons of God do. They carry peace. They don't uh, keep the peace by shoving issues under the carpet and not dealing with them. They make peace because they carry peace. Jesus told us when you go into a place, he actually told his disciples this, it applies to us, uh, and, and you're received somewhere, let your peace come on the house. We carry a tangible peace that we can release for the sons of God. We are the peacemakers. Ephesians, I'm going, I'm going to go into uh, Ephesians 4 now. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to travel fast here because I've got a little ways to go and got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Okay. Is that Jerry Reed? Whoever that was. Um, Ephesians 4.11 says, he, gave him, he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So 
the fivefold ministry, hear, hear my heart, please. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. The fivefold ministry, in my view, they're not titles to wear or offices to aspire to. That's not what they are. If, if people want to wear them as titles, I, I'm, I'm not offended by that necessarily. Sometimes I am a little offended by it, especially if it's just an empty title. You know, like they would say out west, all, all hat and no cattle. <laughs> all fluff and no stuff. Um, their job descriptions of what begins to emerge in the lives of those who've been born again from above and are called to leadership roles as the kingdom begins to manifest through them. It describes different anointed functions that begin to come through us uh, who have consecrated themselves to the process of being birthed into a place where they're willing to carry authority and corresponding responsibility. You can't just carry authority without carrying the responsibility that comes, that comes with it. A lot of people in the world do that. But in the kingdom, it doesn't work that way. If you carry the authority, you've got to take the responsibility as well that comes with it, and the two have to work together. God never uh, gives us responsibility before, beyond our authority. He gives us both. Um, but let's remember this. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And I believe what that means is that many are invited to kingdom assignments, but they never surrender to the process where they can be released into that assignment because the price is too high for them. The purpose of these five is to equip the saints, which is all of you, to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. It's not to stand in the front and look good, or I wouldn't be here. That was my assignment. Um, it's to equip the body to begin to function as a body, where every part is actually important and is doing what it's intended to do. And verse 13 says, until, that means this is in effect, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, let me translate that a little more accurately, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the duration of this five-fold assignment is until the body is united in faith and in the knowledge of Jesus. I've read history quite a bit, and I don't think that's happened yet. I think that's still to be fulfilled. So that will look like Jesus himself has come to earth to finish what he started. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I'm still working out my salvation trying to get there, trying to allow him to do in me. But I can't do it by myself either. Neither one of us, none of us can. It's going to come as a result of the body all working together and doing its share, doing its part. It's not a competition. 
It's none of that. It's each of us finding the niche where we fit the, the, the role that we're called to carry and reproducing what we are into the next generation as they come along. That's what the fivefold is all about. The fivefold are not functions in and of themselves. It's a function that reproduces itself. It has seed within itself, like God put in all the rest of his creation. So every fivefold ministry role is called to reproduce itself into the next generation of reproducers. So it's a perpetual reproduction of itself. Now, bear with me a little bit. I want to go somewhere. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. In other words, when we're constantly allowing the latest revelation to move us and shift us on our foundation, we're actually revealing our immaturity. Now, I'm not against winds of doctrine. They, they, they bring fresh truth to the body of Christ, but it's not foundational truth. And we'll go, we're going to be shifted off of a proper foundation if we're not standing on that foundation first because the winds of doctrine will sweep you off of what you believe if you allow yourself to be moved by every the latest truth that comes down the pike verse 15 says but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in the him who's the head christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So God designs the body. It says that in 1 Corinthians 12, 24. God is the master architect, the master designer, the master planner who designed the body, and he designed every part in exactly where it fits into the body and where it functions well. There's a specific role that God's called you to connect to and an and animation of the giftings and the abilities that God has given you that's required in order for the circulation then to begin to flow over the whole body and every part to be active and powerful and significant. So when the body comes together and becomes a healthy growing body, it produces everything that it needs for its own edification. That's what it says, isn't it? The last part of that verse, growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's my opinion based on that verse, is that when a healthy body comes together, it produces everything that body needs to edify or to build itself up. So... It doesn't mean that we don't have input from ministries outside. We obviously do. The Lord has called a, a healthy linking of arms and a cross-pollination to, to, to happen across the body of Christ because we can learn from each other. We can input into each other. There's other bodies that have strengths that we don't have, and they can impart some of that to us. And there's strengths that, that we have that we need to carry to others. All of that needs to happen. But within this body, God will raise up what it, this body needs day in and day out in order to become powerful, in my opinion. So that, so, but it means those who are called to lead and serve are birthed within the body. 
Because this body is growing in grace and numbers, we have to put certain boundaries in place that are not as critical when we're a small family church. You know, I've had some people really kind of object to us growing because we like it better when it's just a small family type church. I'm like, well, the problem is anything that God's in grows. Everything that I've seen in Scripture says, well, if God's in something, the boundaries expand. There's reproduction that happens. You know, there's, there's, there's kingdom principles that come into play, which means it becomes bigger in, in multiple ways, not just numbers, but we grow in grace. We become, uh, God raises up leaders here. Well, this body is actually not going to have room for all the leaders God raises up here perpetually, and so we're going to have leaders being sent out. We're going to have people going to other places. We're going to be planning other things, birthing other things. Some of that's already happening. Uh, but God is leading us now into more and more of a, of a revival atmosphere. How many of you have been sensing that? That doesn't mean no healthy boundaries. You know, sometimes when revival breaks out, chaos breaks out with it, you know. And uh, sometimes in a delivery room, pandemonium can break out, you know. But in the midst of all of that, there's perfect order. I remember we were in uh, the, the... Labor, labor area of a hospital when one of our kids was being born, and all of a sudden I hear a blood-curdling scream down the hall, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? She said, well, duh, somebody's having a baby. I'm like, they scream like that? She says, sometimes. I don't know where that thought came from, but <laughs> there it is. Can't rewind that tape, huh? <laughs> but people need to find this to be a safe place. And uh, recently I heard the Lord tell me that this would be a city of refuge. And it really, it, it, it touched my heart. It impacted me because I know that it lines right up with what he told us years ago when he said this is a safe place. And he said that as, as a declaration before it really was a safe place. There's a place where people, a city of refuge is a, is a place where people run to when they're in trouble. It actually doesn't come from the progressive Democratic Party. That's not where it comes from. It comes from Scripture. There were cities of refuge in Canaan that were places that somebody who uh, was being pursued for justice could run to and grab a hold of the horns of the altar uh, so that they could uh, have safety until the process of justice was able to play out. And, uh, and so for me, for, for us to, to be called to be a city of refuge is very meaningful to me. It me. First of all, it means that there's going to be something that people are going to be running from. And, and if any, any of you that see what's developing in the world around us, you know you can see those scenarios happening pretty quickly. So it's important for us that we allow the Lord to create that space here. Uh, a safe place for people to run to in times of crisis, in times of trouble, in times of torment, in times of fear. Uh, where they can come and find refuge in the house of God. 
in the city of God, in, in, in a family where they can be protected and fought for and nurtured and ministered to and find freedom and wholeness. It's absolutely imperative. It's a big deal. It makes sense, you know, why that would tie into uh, what the Lord told me years ago. So we're going to have a class, probably monthly during the summer. Steve and I have got to work out some of the logistics of that. And then quarterly, maybe after ministry school begins in the fall, um, for, for people who want to help uh, pray for people and minister to people, uh, healing prophetically, whatever. And uh, so unless you're already one of our leaders or students, uh, participation in the class will be a requirement if you want to minister to people at the altar during ministry time or participate in prophetic ministry. And that, that's not a control move, that's a safety move. This has to be a safe place for people to come who, who uh, need a touch from God, who need to hear a word from God, who, who, are, who are hungry to receive healing, deliverance, restoration, whatever it is. And uh, it's about teaching, training, and activation, but it's also about understanding healthy boundaries, protocol, and accountability. And... Uh, it, that needs to happen. You can't be assured of a clean spiritual flow through you without accountability. And some of us have learned that the hard way. You know, it's a, it's a kingdom reality that, that we need to fully embrace because it's part of what uh, needs to come into line in order for the Lord really uses effectively. And, you know, I told this story many times. I won't go down the whole rabbit hole, but but back in the 91, when the Lord relocated us to Northern Virginia, at that time, I had never surrendered my will to another human being in my life. I just hadn't. That's, sorry, that, that's who I was. And uh, so uh, uh, when the Lord asked me to, to submit myself to this pastor and to make myself accountable, I'm like, are you kidding me, Lord? You're, you're actually expecting me to do that. You're, I mean, you know. And the Lord told me, before you can be a father, you have to be a son. And that's what it meant. Uh, in order for me to continue to grow, I had come to the place where I had to become completely accountable to somebody else. And, uh, and so, so I did that. And the thing that I thought would lead to bondage actually led to freedom. You know, we've, we've never really had a, we, we, and we still don't have a heavy hand, that, hand of authority here at all, you know. But, and so it's not something that's demanded. It's something that you're invited to participate as the Lord surrenders, uh, asks you to, to surrender to accountability. If you want to be used, uh, it needs to be a safe place for that to happen. Amen? Family requires a framework for healthy relationships, and people come here for an encounter with God in a safe family atmosphere. Uh, family needs to be safe. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, if, I'm, if I'm the father in the house, when it's dinner time, I expect all the kids to come gather around the, the dinner table, right? Uh, the neighborhood, the neighbor kids don't have the same invitation at any time, do they? I mean, they can come if, they're, if, they're, if they need a place to hang out and all of that, but they... They, they can't come running into my house and go to the fridge like my own kids can, you know? Or, uh, or, or if they 
see some money laying around to ask if they can have that. Anyway, I could go down another bunny trail there, but I'm not going to, I don't think. Um, but in the past, healthy boundaries to some people has meant that we're religious. And uh, that's fine to me. It means we understand that people come with pain in vulnerable places, and we don't want to trigger places of pain and past hurts before they can receive what they came for. Uh, or have loose protocols where growing believers get unnecessarily hurt in the process of healing and restoration. So if you want to minister but not be accountable, you can probably find some place that will allow that, but not here. And, uh, and it's, it's going to be required because we want to sustain whatever God births here. We want it to be able to grow and mature and become as powerful as it can possibly be. And, and if you look at modern revivals, there were some that had very little order. There were some that had too much control, and control will kill a move of God. I know because I've been around a number of times when that happened, and it's one of the, one of the most grievous things to the heart of God is when a visitation of God actually gets destroyed through man's control. And so control is absolutely not what we're after. Accountability in a safe place is. And uh, I love when God moves. I don't mind when crazy stuff happens as long as it's God. 